Hello and welcome back everyone to Americana Uncovered. Today is episode 16 and that officially puts us past the halfway point of season 1 already. I can't believe that we are already 16 episodes in and going strong. So for episode 16, this is going to be different than uh, any other episode that we did. Um, I had an interview with Gabriel Aldez. Uh, he is the author of the book, Right Palm Up, Left Palm Down, The Log of a Cross-Country Scavenger Hunt, where uh, in this book he um, talks about his experiences and adventures finding different um, muffler men, lumberjacks, you know what they are. I'll, I'm going to post pictures of them, but they are the tall, tall uh, fiberglass statues with, um, they either look like Paul Bunyan or they're cowboys or they're Indians, but um, they uh, they have a very distinct look to it and um, it's very hard to miss at the height that they stand at. Um, and the title, Right Palm Up, Left Palm Down, is because that's the way most of them are usually situated their hands either holding a lumberjack uh, i'm sorry either holding an axe um the, they get the name muffler men from roadside america because they were holding mufflers although that wasn't the first uh um wasn't the first statue put in place it was actually a lumberjack so there's a little bit of a misconception there but you'll hear all about it in the interview i did with uh gabriel and this is just uh right up my alley something I um, really was interested in learning about and I would suggest reading the book. I'll put the link uh, for the book in my bio. It's available on Amazon.com. Um, really a great read. I, I couldn't you know, suggest it more to, uh, to you guys to read. If, if you like this podcast, you'll definitely like this interview and you will definitely like this book. So I'm not going to talk too much um, really about the interview because... We'll just, we're going to play the interview. So I hope you guys find this uh, topic as interesting as I did and enjoy the interview. Uh, we'll see you guys in July. We'll be announcing a nice, uh, we're going to do a special for the whole month of July and August, a, a summer special based off one kind of general topic, and I'll be releasing that uh, next week. But can't look past this great episode. And uh, like I said, I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. So let's get right into the interview with Gabriel. So I want to welcome to the show our first guest, actually, for Americana Uncovered, uh, Gabriel Aldez. He is the author of Right Palm Up, Left Palm Down, The Log of a Cross-Country Scavenger Hunt. Welcome to the show, Gabriel. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Um, so this book is basically your scavenger hunt um, through the years to find these fiberglass giants of muff muffler men, lumberjacks, um, whatever you really want to call them. But um, what really got you into this? Well, um, 
I realized it's a very unusual quest that I have and a rather unusual topic for a book. But um, I grew up in Spain until I was 10. And when, I, when we were 10, we moved from Spain to Flagstaff, Arizona. And completely by coincidence, I happened to see my first of these giant fiberglass statues and I'd never seen anything like it. So I was, I was really amazed by it. And luckily my mother was there to take a photo of it. So, so I still have the photo of me standing with, standing with this giant, who I think is about, I don't know, 18 feet tall or something like that. Yeah. And the photos are in the book too. It's pretty cool. Um, that you got that in there but so growing up in Spain was there like any kind of resemblance to these like muffler men or anything similar like roadside attractions or not really um I think the roadside attractions are an American phenomenon the only thing I can I guess there are two things I could point to one there were these festivals and carnivals in Spain where, where there were these colorful paper mache figures that are called cabezudas, and cabeza means head, and cabezudo means big head. So <laughs> there were these there were these large figures with, with big heads that kind of danced around and and paraded around along with a bunch of other things. And I think there are many variations of these carnivals and religious events uh, all around Europe that that have these larger than life figures walking around. So that was one thing. And then the other thing that's interesting is along the roads of Spain, there are many examples of, um, it's called El Toro de Osborne. <laughs> El Toro is the bull, and Osborne is the maker of sherry and I think some other alcoholic drinks. Okay. And so these bulls are, are huge two-dimensional signs. They're black, and they're often visible from many kilometers away. And I don't know if you've seen it, but um, it's the outline of, of the bull and it's, it's become almost a symbol for Spain now. So I definitely remember those as a kid and they're still there. Okay. That's, pretty, that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I yeah. was going to say, I kind of gathered that uh, the quirky roadside attractions were kind of probably a U.S. thing, but... Um, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Anyway, so when you first saw Louie, um, that was outside of Northern Arizona University, like you said, where your mom um, got a job teaching. Um, you were only 10. What were your first impressions when you saw Louie? Yeah, so the very first impression was I was I was shocked by the size of him. And then it sounds crazy, but I immediately felt a deep connection to Louie. <laughs> And I really felt like he wanted me to get to know him better. And I was 10. I didn't know what that meant. Yeah. And it was, it was weird. And it's, it's been interesting, though, because now that I'm, I've gotten on Instagram a little bit, I've definitely heard from other people who had these childhood connections to these, to these statues. And we'll probably talk about it later, but you yourself. Yep had a connection with with such a statue barnacle bill on the <laughs> other side of the country <laughs> yeah it's crazy to think about how it just like connected like like and 
I'm like I saw I heard in the book too like you you know you didn't like that this didn't spring your adventure to go find a bunch of other ones like for me I saw that and it just you know 20 years passed I never thought of you know another one existing but now they're like you see uh right in the book you just discover all these different type of people all over you know all over the world um so kind of jumping around in you know in the order of the book you also find out that there's another louis um right inside the sky dome of the from uh, northern arizona U- university how surprised were you to find out that there was another one right behind the uh basically behind the wall right there <laughs> yeah that was also a surprise i guess one other thing to mention the difference between europe and the united states is that in europe universities don't have really mascots okay a university is kind of a a place of higher education and it's a bit more serious and um sometimes the buildings are scattered all around and there's not always this campus and this this sort of feeling of um community that exists in the u.s and part of that i think is through the sports and the mascots which is for a foreign concept in, in Europe, and so uh, here was this Northern Arizona University, which, as you said, my mom got a job teaching there, and their mascot was the Lumberjacks. So once I had seen, okay, there's one standing outside, it wasn't as surprising to see that, that there was another one of these uh, on the inside, um, which I, like you said, I. That was not my second sighting. It, that came later. Yeah. And so it, I would say that was only mildly surprising. Oh, okay, they, they've got another one. Maybe there's a third one somewhere, but yeah. I don't think there is. <laughs> and so both of these Louis um, originally were in front of a diner, right? They That's where they were at first, and then they yeah. got moved here? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And being from Flagstaff, I was able to go to the Flagstaff Library where they had all these um, archives and the old microfiche. You could load up these old um, microfiche uh, records of the Arizona Daily Sun, which is the local newspaper. And so I was able to, and that's also in my book, find articles that said okay um the statues were were sold from the diner which was called the lumberjack cafe and they were going to be taken over by northern arizona university and moved so i actually found the these articles and i was able to reprint them in in the book that shows shows when it happened and that uh, lumberjack cafe then became granny's closet was the name of the place which is how i remember it as a kid and of course the lumberjack theme no longer fit in granny's closet we (laughs) joked that'd be kind of a scary scary thing to have these lumberjacks in granny's closet (laughs) but um yeah so they got moved and and i I found the the article about it and it was in the 70s i think and granny's closet sadly closed uh fairly recently so it was it was around for a long time it's pretty cool and then on top of that the they even had a little more fame as they as i think at least one of them can be seen in the movie easy rider right 
Exactly. Yeah, that was. Th- this is another one of those moments that was that was crazy because I happened to be watching Easy Rider, and it's an iconic movie, of course, with Peter Fonda and Jack Nicholson, and they've got these cool choppers that they're riding, and suddenly on the screen flashes one of the lumberjacks. <laughs> And, and through the research, I was able to very much identify it as the Lumberjack Cafe. You could see the pictures from the Lumberjack Cafe when it was in that paint scheme. And then I matched it up with the frame from Easy Rider. And um, yeah, that turns out to be uh, the Louie that was inside, the one that's on the, on the movie. There were two of them, like you said, but the one that made it into the final cut is the one that was then inside the, the sky dome. So, I mean, this is super exciting. And I, I guess I would say this is one of the things I love about these statues is that they're hidden in plain sight. And for someone who knows nothing about it, they wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't think twice about it. But for me, Easy Rider is like, yeah, there's one there, and it's yeah. the Flagstaff one, and it's, it's amazing. So... Yeah, I, I love that part of it—the hidden in plain sight aspect of these statues. Yeah, exactly. Because if you know, for most people, even probably people that go to that college, they think that those lumberjacks were just there because it's the name of the mascot and stuff like that. But the whole history behind it um, is pretty interesting. Like you said, it's just—you know—you probably could just keep going and going doing the research on them. But um, well, yeah, exactly as you say. I don't think almost anyone would know. The, the, the statue that's that's there, which is now, it used to be on the inside of the Sky Dome, but then I guess they restored it and now it's on the outside as well, kind of on the other side of the Sky Dome, which is a huge dome, so it's big, so it's on the back side, but most people would have no idea <laughs> that this is a bit of a movie star with his cameo in, in Easy Rider, so yeah. And he actually wound up, it's being like pretty much the first fiberglass statue like this right yeah so louis the one the one that i saw that's i i call him louis one and louis two i guess for lack of a better name but yeah it turns out this is a spoiler alert but <laughs> at, at the end of the book i do discover that louis one the one that i saw on the outside is in fact the very first of those uh, statues ever made, and and the story is is I think fascinating, but I, I won't I'll save that for another time because um, obviously I could go on for a long time. But it's it's pretty interesting how he came into being, and and um, just blew my mind that that would be the first one. Once I discovered there were so many, that that should be the first one, that yeah. was remarkable. Yeah, the fact that the first one you saw was the, oh, well, pretty much the you know same area was the first one. But, uh, yeah, you got to read the book to uh, get into that one. Um, so I see, um, I think we talked about it too, you, like the name Muffler Man, Lumberjack. Um, there's a bunch of different names, but so how did it really get, you know, their name? I, um because even though Louie was the first one and he was a lumberjack, I see him often referred to muffler men. So oh, yeah. what was the, really the origin of the name? Well, this is one of the things that's, that's also very interesting. And it, it turns out that back in the 1990s, I think, 
there is this group of, of people that wrote this book called Roadside America. And they did an amazing job of cataloging the many unusual roadside attractions across the United States. And of course, as they were going around, they also noticed, hey, here are a bunch of these 18, 20 foot tall statues. Most of them have the right palm, you know, they got their arms out with the right palm up and the left palm down. And a couple of them were holding mufflers. So they decided to call them muffler men. And so this is, <laughs> they did no research into it. This is a complete misnomer. But of course, it's something, as they were the first ones to, to give them a name, really, that, that stuck. And after they did the book and the revised book, they also put up a website. And the Roadside America website, to this day is sort of the definitive um, resource for anybody looking for crazy attractions like like you mentioned in your podcast you know giant oranges and uh, <laughs> huge balls of twine or whales statues or anything that you're looking for you go to roadside America and um, they basically put up hey these are muffler men and they were made to hold mufflers and nobody really questioned it, and the name Musserman stuck, and there's no changing it now. <laughs> no <laughs> yeah. one will think of these guys as lumberjacks, even though that's really how they started off as, a, a, like a Paul Bunyan-like figure. Yeah, with the, the axe and the hat and the beard and all that. Exactly, it was right palm up, left palm down to hold an axe. Yep, and then, so the... Really, um, also, yeah, Roadside America, I, I've spent countless hours on there just looking at stuff <laughs> yeah. that I didn't even use for this podcast, but it's kind of a deep rabbit hole. Just go go down and get lost in there. But uh, the uh, so the purpose for these statues was what originally to, you know, grab the attention of customers and kind of draw business as a quirky, like, hey, come check us out kind of thing. Exactly. Um, just as you described in a different earlier episode of your podcast, you know, the family road trip became such a popular activity after World War II. It just get, got more and more popular and it probably peaked late 50s, early 60s, something like that. So it's no coincidence that uh, businesses were vying for the attention of all of these families that were cruising down the highway and looking for places to eat, places to sleep, places to get gas. And some some did it with signs. You know, there are all these, yeah, like the thing has 50 signs in every direction for yeah. miles away, um, as, as you've mentioned. And so some people did it with signs, some people chose to have these these big statues and and that's that's really how they got started and um it also turned out just another coincidence was that flagstaff is on route 66 and that's um that was really key because the lumberjack cafe and flagstaff having these uh giant statues 
they they got a lot of attention first one and then two of course they got a lot of attention not only from families stopping to eat at the diner but pretty soon other business owners thought hey wait <laughs> they have one of these giant statues where can i get one yeah so that was the that was the start of it so a pretty simple con- concept if you really think about it but i'm sure you know you have a five six-year-old kid in the car they're going to want to go to the restaurant with the big lumberjack instead of just a plain uh, diner across the street so um so it was about in your book chapter two is almost like seven years that passed since you saw your second giant in leo and then another five when you saw your third giant in poor richard um, so what really pulled you in to start actively looking for these fiberglass giants after the third one? Yeah, so as you said, my second sighting was Leo, who's, who's now basically known as Glenn Stone. I, I called him Leo because he was at Leo's Auto Supply, and I, there wasn't really a, a name at the time, but now he's called Glenn Stone because he's at the intersection of Glenn and Stone. <laughs> Uh, so it's a good name for him and that's in Tucson and um, you know I, I saw him because I went to college in Tucson so this is like you said now I'm 18 and I saw him and I go whoa he looks a lot like Louie both are lumberjacks and I thought I wonder how he ended up there but I still thought maybe there's only two of them and and I didn't think anything more of it and and then Years later, I was driving with a friend, and and we spotted, as you said, poor Richard, who, poor Richard is a very apt name for this guy, and he's, you know, he was located in this kind of weird mini marketplace in the middle of the California desert, and when we spotted him, I immediately had to stop, and... I realized there could be hundreds scattered across the country. That was really what, what made it like that. And uh, poor Richard had stamped next to his, I think it was his right knee, there was a stamp that said International Fiberglass Venice, California. And I thought, okay, scavenger hunt is on now. Yeah, now we're, got a lead. Now we're yeah. on to something. <laughs> yeah. And I should add, he looked different. He he looked like a cowboy. He had a cowboy hat. I was gonna and say he was the he, a, he was a he was a little beat up too, also, right? <laughs> yeah, he was super beat up, and um, he was actually missing missing a head for for many years. Uh, the head had fallen off, and um, it was it was weird. But definitely had this cowboy hat, and his beard was uh, painted on it wasn't the same kind of beard as the other one so i thought okay there's something going on here there's multiple molds now there's different slight differences with these styles i knew it was it was something much bigger yeah so that kind of leads me into my next question which was uh how you know once you found out there was more than one like not just a lumberjack but like you said a cowboy there's different service attendants you found a golfer um one that looked like uh alfred newman um what would what would be your favorite kind of um i guess mold or or design of these uh fiberglass giants Mm. um i guess i don't have a particular design favorite i have a soft spot for the lumberjack yeah. of course <laughs> but um 
what I love is that international fiberglass, like you said, had this limited set of molds. Like, yeah, they had the cowboy, they also had an Indian, and they, they had a number of them. But it was still a, you know, a, a small set. And at the beginning, these statues came out of the molds, and they looked pretty similar. And um, individual customers requested different accessories and different paint jobs. And that's where the individualization began. And as the statues changed hands, they got repainted, they got adapted, maybe the head got switched out, their arm positions changed, even though they may have started with, um, you know, the classic uh, hand position, maybe the other hand was turned up to hold a hamburger or a carpet roll or... um, there's this set of Mr. Bendos, which I didn't even discover in the book, but I learned about later, which has, they have their arm held out, and you have all of these different adaptations that are happening, and just either from the original customer or through all the crazy changing of hands that that takes place over the last 60 years, you're left with this wonderful group of individual statues and each has a, a rich history and, and they could be like a pirate or um, there's there was Alibaba with his turban and his uh, scimitar for the Alibaba restaurant. I mean, some artist somewhere that we probably never know who it was created this, this Alibaba figure. It's completely one of a kind and and i love it and um i think so i would say rather than having a favorite style i just love the that they take on a life of their own over the years yeah definitely and i was looking at some pictures online too and also like you said with the hand positioning some of i saw some of them they're kind of like both with their thumbs up and like one guy had uh you know, a mug, uh, two mugs of beer in each hand or a hot dog in a uh, mug. So it's not all the time just something going straight across. It's, you know, it could be totally different things. And I think that, uh, like you said, some, they paint the beard on some of them. These have different hats and it's really up to, I guess, whoever put the order in that really wanted to uh, make it unique to fit their need. Exactly. And right, whoever put the order in, but then really you can't underestimate the importance of subsequent owners too that either by purchasing it or maybe taking over a business that already had one they decided to repurpose it and you know let's let's be honest there were a few a few jobs went a little bit crazy (laughs) and there's a few that look really weird kind of mutant mutant ones but (laughs) mostly i would say the customization worked out worked out well and, and really created something unique so from these molds emerged all these unique uh variants which yeah like i said that's that's really what i would say is, is what i love about them so kind of to go into another unique one um funny enough growing up in new jersey one of your um, chapters in your book is about um alfred e bunyan in seaside new jersey that it has the face of alfred e newman from uh, mad magazine um so do you think that that was a 
like a stock mold or it kind of looks like it's a lumberjack body with just a, a Alfred uh, head placed onto it. Is that anything unique, that one, or are those? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, this is one that I think there's some unsolved mysteries, at least for me, regarding this particular one. So let's see, there's a lot to talk about there. So, um, so first of all, I, in my research, I ended up talking to Steve Dashu, who was the, the owner of International Fiberglass. And I did ask him about it. And, and he said that, um, an owner of, of a chain of mini golf courses had put in an order for a bunch of these statues resembling Alfred E. Newman. And so, so Steve Dashu called them original equipment. That was actually a variant that you could then from that moment on purchase. And what, so to answer your question initially, there's, there's a limited set of those and I don't know how many survived, but they were in all these mini golf courses. And the one that I called, and again, if this is my name because I didn't have any, any other yeah, reference, yeah. but I called him Alfred E. Bunyan because exactly like that, he had the, the lumberjack body, but this crazy Alfred E. Newman head. That one is at a mini golf course uh, at Seaside Heights, rooftop mini golf course. Um, so they were ordered directly from International Fiberglass. But then what's really interesting is when you look at the catalog from International Fiberglass, and we've been able to track down their, their catalogs, it's, it's listed as Mortimer Snurd, who was the secondary ventriloquist dummy of Edgar Bergen. And this goes all the way back to the 30s. And um, the main, the main uh, dummy was called Charlie McCarthy, and he was really sharp-witted. But Mortimer Snurd was you know, not very bright. He had buck teeth and a long nose, and vaguely reminiscent of the Alfred E. Newman um, character that you know for whom the statue was made. But um, for some reason. Uh, Steve Dashu just decided to call him Snurd. But um, for some reason, I don't know if there was maybe some kind of copyright infringement or something, but in the international fiberglass, you could then order this Mortimer Snurd, but it does resemble a lot Alfred E. Newman and not so much Mortimer Snurd. So yeah. they were all put in these mini golf courses. And then again, as we've just discussed, they, they took on a life of their own and some stayed in mini golf courses. I think there's one that's actually holding a muffler. <laughs> and um, lastly, I would say that, the, again, since the Roadside America people did no research at all, they just said, what should we call these guys? And they ended up calling them the happy halfwits. <laughs> so that's another name for them and then i saw you also i saw in the, um i forget what chapter it was but there is also another iteration of 
Alfred E. Bunyan or Alfred E. Newman, and you named him Amish Newman because it looks exactly the same, but he has like the Amish beard. So there's even another variation on top of a weirder variation. Yes, yes, exactly. Well, remember how I was saying that some of these uh, homemade adaptations went a little bit crazy? <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's definitely that's definitely one. There's this place. Um, in in New York that had a, a big gathering of them and this is one of them, this kind of Amish Newman and yeah, it's it's disturbing. It's definitely disturbing <laughs> and, and you know it's a kid's it was a kid's attraction, the magic magic forest. And I, I think kids could definitely lose lose sleep of it seeing Amish uh, Newman. <laughs> yeah, I, I could imagine. Um, so you mentioned a little bit before um, about your research in the uh, library and all going through the um, old newspaper clippings and stuff. But So once you set out to um, actively st- uh, seek these statues, you vowed to do the ground and research uh, without the internet. So how much, obviously harder was that, but how much more did that make it satisfying once you found them oh well not using the internet was the best decision I could have made Um, I guess I suspected and this turned out to be correct that there was probably one website with an origin story and that pretty much everybody else just referenced this website without checking any of the facts for themselves um, unfortunately, this is very common in the internet age. You yeah. you see something and then you just say, okay, this is how it is. And so that was just a complete guess at the time. I didn't know if that was the case, but like we've discussed, it turned out to be the case because there was the Roadside America um, website and pretty much everybody just referenced it. And the problem is that these references include um, newspaper articles, magazine articles. And so what happens then, and this is again why the term muffler man or happy halfwit or whatever you want to call it has stuck with us, is because then people read an article in the Los Angeles Times or you know some other newspaper where it says, oh, this is the origin and this is what happened. And they're not even getting it from Roadside America, but because the people who wrote those articles, they just took Roadside America's account as the truth, suddenly it gets, it, it, it just becomes the truth. So I'm pretty sure that if I had just been a little bit curious about it, I would have looked at Roadside America and I would have said, oh, okay, these, these guys were meant to hold mufflers. And, and that's the end of it. And um, as, yeah, as you know, because that's what the book is about, I decided not to do that. And um, it was super satisfying to talk to people directly. And, and, you know, one person says, oh, I know of one in this place. And you need to, you need to go there and see if it's still there. And then that other person will remember some other fact. And when you're talking to people, of course, their memories aren't always accurate. But 
they're they're thinking of their own experience and it's not something that everybody just points to one website it's rather a set of of remembrances and and it's up to you to figure out which ones are true and which ones are you know misremembered but um yeah so i think i think it made it very very satisfying to find out that there was a much richer history than than roadside america had which of course i did read the roadside america account and it was incomplete and this is a pet peeve of mine i think to this day if you go to the roadside america origin page i think they still say that they were created to hold mufflers i don't think they've ever changed their their story so um yeah maybe one day yeah, that's pretty cool too because like you said you get other people's although sometimes their memories a little, you know, maybe foggy or something, but you kind of yeah. they might have uh per- personal experiences with the statue or something. You kind of paste everything together and it brings you one big kind of story instead of like you said reading, you know, just a couple paragraphs online and moving on to the next one. Yeah, exactly. And one very specific, it's a small but a very specific example, is that um, the Roadside America people, since they did no research, Gashu, who I already mentioned as as the the owner of International Fiberglass, and International Fiberglass was definitely the main company to sell the statues, but they were not who started it. And that was Bob Pruitt of Pruitt Fiberglass, who actually made the first statue. And so, um, basically, because Steve Dashu called Roadside America, Roadside America just said, oh, we'll just write down what Steve Dashu said. (laughs) And I don't think Steve Dashu had any malicious intent, but because it wasn't him, he misremembered the name of the Lumberjack Cafe as something like the Paul Bunyan Cafe or the PB Cafe. I think both of those are out there. And so anytime you read something and, and you say, oh, the first one was was at the PB Cafe in Flagstaff or the Paul Bunyan Cafe in Flagstaff, you know that whatever source that is, it, it all goes back to that um, Roadside America uh, conversation with Steve Dashu because he misremembered uh, the name of the cafe. Bob Pruitt, I guarantee you, well, I did talk to Bob, and Bob knew, oh, it was the Lumberjack Cafe in Flagstaff because it was Bob who made the sale. Yeah. Bob Pruitt was the one who made the first statue. He made the first sale to, to the Lumberjack Cafe. And we now know that the designer of the statue was a man named Bill Swan. So um, his his daughter, Linda, actually came forward and, and solved one of the mysteries that was um, unsolved in my book because I asked Bob Pruitt, did he himself make the, the design? And um, he didn't. Basically, Pruitt Fiberglass had earlier been selling um, statues of animals, um, starting off with horses, but then expanding into, you know, steer or chickens. And these these statues are also 
still seen all over the United States. Uh, these these um, animal fiberglass statues, and because he had gotten a request to do a Paul Bunyan, he really didn't know how to do it, so he ended up getting Bill Swan to to do this uh, design. So we now know that this man named Bill Swan did it, and he created a yeah, <laughs> an iconic character for sure. Yeah, definitely. With this Paul Bunyan. Mm-hmm. Um. So. Um, also, so how many states do you think you, you know, roughly have been to to seek out these uh, muffler men, lumberjacks? <laughs> well, <clears throat> you know, Roadside America has an excellent muffler man tracking map that they update, and you can you can see the different types and where they're located. But I guess I still never used it, even though I'm not against using the internet anymore because. You know, I got to the end of my scavenger hunt. I never used the Muffler Man tracking map. So um, to this day, I actually don't uh, seek out the, the Muffler Man. Um, so I love just running into one during my travels. Okay. Or having friends send me photos of their sightings. And now, of course, through Instagram, it's... It, there's this there's this whole community out there so definitely um yeah so that's fun but i i don't seek i still don't seek them out so in your book um you, you leave off around 2009 um have you seen any more ones that really stand out for you in the last 14 years that weren't mentioned in the book oh yeah yeah for sure um there's there's a there's a few interesting ones like I guess I guess I would say what, what's interesting is that in the 1960s um, because this craze took off um, they I, I uncovered for example it turned out that poor Richard who we mentioned earlier was one of was a Philip 66 cowboy so. The Philip 66 gas station chain had these cowboys that they wanted to put or at least lease out to to gas stations, Philip 66 gas stations, as attention getters. And as is human nature, once one gas station made made one of these programs, other gas stations wanted to have their own uh, statues. So Mohawk Petroleum was the one who wanted an Indian and uh, Midas mufflers. They wanted a guy holding a muffler, which might have been one of the early ones that the Roadside America crew ran into. And, you know, these different chains had, had different ones. And Texaco had this Big Friends program. And they, they were a different mold. But um, I definitely saw a Texaco big friend there are not many of them left and and that was that was pretty cool to see so uh that was something that that's new and then like i mentioned before there were a few of these mr bendos that are there's one in indianapolis and i think there's one in south dakota there's a couple of them so i also didn't know about the mr bendos and you know i i keep learning about them slowly and one thing that's especially fun is when I see one in a movie or a TV show, because again, 
it's not really the main the main point, but but there it is. And um, I've watched the movie Nebraska, and there's one in I think Billings, Montana. Is it Billings or Bozeman? I don't know. <laughs> one of those towns in Montana. There's one just in the background. And also, uh, I watched uh, season one of uh, Ozark, the TV show Ozark, and that takes place, of course, in the Ozark area, Missouri, Arkansas, and and there's a, a, a chief that that appears in that one, and so it's always fun. Like, hey, there's another one. <laughs> yeah, like little little Easter eggs in the back, like you said, they're not the forefront, but you uh, you catch them in the back, and it catches your eye. Um, so I think really the the first uh, couple times we got together talking on in- Instagram, you reached out about a project you're doing now, kind of checking up on the uh, lumberjacks and and muffler men in the book. Um, so how has that update been going on on how they're doing? Are most of them still intact and thriving? Or yeah, I it's it's been great fun and. Like, like we've mentioned, it's been a chance to connect with a bunch of other people. There's much more interest now in, in these statues than at the time that I wrote the book. So uh, since you read the book, you, you will remember that multiple times people just thought I was completely crazy. You know, <laughs> Uh, why are you interested in this? Or it's just a statue. Actually, we're thinking of tearing it down. Or, you know, why do you care? And, you know, it, it was definitely, um, or maybe, hey, you're trespassing. <laughs> so the reactions were, were generally, um, you know, yeah, people were incredulous that I should be interested in this. And so, I think one of the biggest things is that, um, you know, now there's a lot more interest and a lot more uh, awareness of these statues. So I'm happy to report that just about, I think just about all of them that I've gotten updates on are positive. Uh, A few of them, their paint jobs are getting uh, in need of a touch-up, or some of them have a bit more damage than before, but generally they're, do- they're doing okay, and some of them are much better. So, for example, we talked about poor Richard, and he was neglected. He lost his head for years. It was stored in the back, and he ended up being purchased by, by the folks from um, a place called The Station at Joshua Tree National Park. And so he was repainted and rebranded. So he's now Big Josh <laughs> at Joshua Tree National Park. And he's become this huge attraction. Everybody knows, hey, when you're at Joshua Tree, stop in at the station. They've got uh, snacks and souvenirs. And, you know, you can get your selfie with the statue. So that to me was was really great and and the folks there have done such a cool job um giving him different costumes and i think he had a like a a mask during covid times and you know so they're playing around with it and they're they're definitely just hyping up the the roadside attraction potential of it and um 
yeah, this is great. I also hear that on Route 66, there, there are many more statues than, than there used to be. So um, all of the ones that I had seen, including the Gemini giant or Tall Paul with his hot dog in Atlanta, Illinois, they're still doing fine. And, and now there's a slew of other ones on Route 66 that weren't even there in 2004. So to answer your question, I'm super excited to see uh, that they're doing they're doing well. Yeah, even maybe a little bit of a rebirth in. Uh, For sure. Um, I For think sure. maybe too because I know by me I'm in New Jersey. Like, uh, you know, stuff like this is really harder and harder to come by with them. Like you said, people maybe even in the 80s, 90s, early 2000s, just what do we need this for? Let's tear it down and build another strip mall. Whatever we have left is, uh, you know, I think the the people that like, you know, are interested in this hold more value maybe than what they did before. And we definitely need to try to preserve these things. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, exactly as you say it. You know they were they were popular in the 60s they were sold until probably the early 70s and then in the 80s there was really a, a shift and they were considered eyesores and removed and uh you know people got upset they didn't really want them in the, in, in their neighborhood and this this lasted through the time that i i wrote my book they were still not you know very well seen by a lot of people although i must say that you know the owners who had them were were passionate about them you know the gemini giant was at the launching pad drive-in and they had i remember inside the launching pad drive-in they had this huge display about yeah the the gemini giant and they sold merchandise and, and stuff like that so obviously there were pockets where people were still proud about them but but generally, generally not. And it's, it's all turned around now and, and people are excited about it. And that's good. Yeah. And, and, uh, like when I went out to check on the Alfred E. Bunyan, I mean, when something, uh, can outlast a uh, super storm Sandy that we had about 10 years ago, I think that's something that, uh, deserves to be, uh, you know, preserved and, and stayed there in its own right. Absolutely, that was that was so interesting to to see. Uh, obviously, um, as as you mentioned in the book, I go out there to Seaside Heights and Casino Pier and and all of that, and then to see the photos of the devastation caused by it. Uh, one of the one of the roller coasters even fell into the ocean, um, and but then to see that, yeah, what who I call, yeah, this Alfred E. Bunyan character, still standing there with his guy wires, you know, like, I, I think it was, uh, you know, things, structures and things that survived the, the superstorm were, and you know better than I, but it seems like something inspirational, you know, like something you can rebuild around. Yeah, it's um, uh, kind of like a, you know, I mean, you were there before, so that's kind of how, you know, I... It, saw the boardwalk growing up and now going going to it it's like you know a totally different place but you have those specific like marquees or signs and or this statue and even though the boardwalk around you is totally different those little aspects kind of 
put you back before the whole thing was washed away. Yeah, something to build around. And I guess by now it's it's all pretty much looking great, isn't it? Yeah, it, it looks like, a, like I said, a whole new boardwalk, but I mean, mm-hmm. probably for the better because um, there was a time, like even not too long ago, it was a not great area for families to go, but they're, they're really doing a lot of... Um, efforts to clean up the area and it seems like everything's headed in the right direction yeah that's really great so uh one of the last things i wanted to talk about was the efforts to preserve the statues um is there anything you wanted to hit on with that oh yeah well um i really have to give a lot of credit to a friend of mine joel baker (laughs) It's, it's really interesting because I think um, I, I published a book in 2010 and um, I think it was in 2011 I, I got a call or an email I guess from, from this man Joel Baker and interestingly enough Joel had had he was another one of those people who had had this similar sort of experience with the statues you know most people ignore them, but Joel saw his first uh, statue. He, he traveled around a fair amount for his work. He saw his first statue, and there was just something about it that, that drew his attention. So he started doing research into the origin, and he came up uh, you know, across my book, and he read it super thoroughly. And he, he, you know, he actually pointed out, okay, I have additional questions from your, from your research, things maybe that didn't make it into the book, but I want to know. So, you know, we had, we had this incredible back and forth. And, you know, over time, he, he started to learn more and more. And he now knows a lot more about the statues than I do. He is now really, a, yeah world expert on these things and even though he has his regular job uh he and his team at american giants they are really involved with buying selling restoring and he's done so much to to get these statues uh in good shape and uh, it's it's been really amazing to to see his work and just to give you one example, uh, the Muffler Man uh, tracking map that I mentioned, I, when I looked at it, I thought, huh, it appears that there's one in Puerto Rico, but nobody would be crazy enough to go to Puerto Rico, not even me. Yeah. And guess what? Joel Baker flew to Puerto Rico. Made the trip. He had to track, <laughs> he had to track him down. So... Um, I, I really wanted to just say that, that yeah, Joel and his team are, are doing a great job. And they're also um, facilitating, um, you know, the, the, the purchase and the sale of these statues and um, just having a, a good community uh, around it. Um, when I was doing my research, there weren't really any people who collected these statues. Like I said, most people wanted to get rid of them. But nowadays, there are individual people who are buying up different statues. 
Uh, one, one example is Bell Plastics in Hayward, California. I think back in the day, there was one statue at Bell Plastics, and I think um, the owner of Bell Plastics, I think his name is Kennedy, I, he, he's trying, or I think he has succeeded by now, in getting one of each type of statue. So, wow. um, yeah, and there's multiple people with, with collections, and this was unheard of when, when I was uh, doing my, my research. And lastly, in that same vein, Joel Baker is now opening the American Giants Museum in Atlanta, Illinois. So not far from the tall, tall hot dog, <laughs> hot dog guy, is the American Giants Museum, and it's it's dedicated not just to these so-called muffler men, but it also has some of the the other big statues. I think uh, Joel likes the big friends from Texaco, and there's also some some different ones. Uh, you know, the Sinclair had their dinosaurs, for yep. example. So I have one of I'm them right sure. down the street from me. Also, that's pretty. I was amazed when I saw. I haven't seen a Sinclair gas station, you know, in a while, and I. I moved, you know, more South Jersey, and I passed one with a big dinosaur outside. It was pretty cool to see. Yeah, yeah, and I, I've also been contacted about them, and there are also some questions about their, you know, how did those dinosaurs come to be, and so forth. So, like you said, one can keep going and going on it. Yeah. But, um, but basically, it's just so cool to have this American Giants Museum opening up with with different examples of the, the Muffler Man and some of the other programs to really, yeah, preserve this this piece of Americana, which was really looked down upon for a while, and and now it's, uh, you know, being, yeah, being preserved. And I guess as a concluding note, I would just like to say that one really cool thing about the statues is that Again, it sounds weird, but sometimes I've just kind of sat on a bench and hung around uh, observing. And one thing that I think is really cool about the statues is they attract basically every kind of person you can imagine. And, and I think that that's great. Everybody wants selfies with these. So mm -hmm. thinking about being in Atlanta, Illinois, and there's the tall Paul. You have all these different personalities. Like you might have a, a motorcycle gang, you know, <laughs> like yeah. all these guys in their Harley Davidsons and you know leather vests and tattoos. They're all gonna just park their motorcycles. They're gonna get their selfies with the hot dog guy. You know, they're gonna move on. Then you have a family, for example. They're gonna stop in. They're gonna get their shots. And I just love that. I, I love that. You know. Nowadays, unfortunately, um, society can be, you know, a bit polarized in topics. And I just, I think it's really cool that there's this universal appeal where everybody, everybody gets excited about having a selfie with these, with these statues. So I think it's very nice. Yeah, that's definitely awesome. Like you said, it would be funny. You see a whole biker gang and then five minutes later, a bunch of five-year-old girls on a class trip taking a picture also <laughs> but uh, <laughs> and that's what happens <laughs> yeah definitely 
So I really appreciate you uh, coming on here and doing this interview. This was awesome. And um, I would really suggest going out and getting the book, Right Palm Up, Left Palm Down, The Log of a Cross-Country Scavenger Hunt. Uh, where can they get the book? Well, it's available on Amazon. That's the best place to get it. And I will be sharing that link in my uh, bio, so I would look out for that. And um, Gabriel, I really appreciate it again. I hope we could talk soon, and and thanks for coming on. Yeah, my pleasure. It was was a very fun, fun session with you.